On a very special episode of Why Wait Till Sunday, I will be interviewing Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports on his uh, fantastic recent piece about the uh, development ratings that 24-7 is putting out this year. Uh, and we will talk a lot about which colleges are putting guys in the pros at, a, at, a, at an amazing clip. And some of them may be even more surprising than you realize. And we'll be right back with Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports. Hello and welcome to Why Wait Till Sunday. I'm your host, Alfred, and I am here with a very special guest tonight. This guy's got it all, everything you could ask for. Longhorn fans are excited about Bijan Robinson, number five. This is a guy that comes in as the number one running back recruit in the country. Elite, elite, elite. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say step down. He's got tremendous upside. By Stevenson, Rattle. a little bit of pressure as he launches it downfield. Touchdown Sooners, the breakout freshman, Marvin Mims. So confused on defense, Lane Kiffin was trying to get a timeout. Instead, it's a first down, and it's a touchdown for defense. He's my play of the week. Smash potential here. That's what I'm saying. The royalty of college football is in assembly at the Rose Bowl 2006. All right, we're here with Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to get into this, uh, this study that you did, that you authored and put out the, um, you know, the article. I think it was last week, so pretty recent. But first, can you tell us, you know, you're obviously 24-7. I think you've done a couple different things in your tenure there. So you know, how did you wind up at 24-7 and what are you, uh, what are you doing for them right now? Um, pretty, pretty basic story. My first job out of college was in Midland, Texas. I got a parachute out of there to go cover the Longhorns, uh, pretty early on in my career, covered them for a couple years. was fortunate enough to get a national college football job with, uh, 24 seven sports, a little underqualified, but I like to think I do an okay job. And, uh, yeah, here I am. I'm, I'm blessed. So it's a really cool, it's a really cool job. And uh, I love working at 24 seven. Yeah, well, you know, we us nerds that that do all this um, campus to Canton stuff and college football fantasy stuff, we love to go to that website and you know see the next talent coming down the pipeline. Um, so this study, uh, you know, kind of a you've been uh, twenty, maybe not you in exactly, but twenty four seven has been doing the development ratings for a, a little a little while now. Is that right? Yeah, I started this I think three years ago. Twenty nineteen was the first time we just. We wanted to quantify uh, NFL draft success and kind of attach that to our recruiting rankings that people follow so closely. So we just we just figured out a way to kind of uh, rate how schools develop elite talent, at least, which is what I think people spend the most time looking at. It's those guys in the top 247. It's the guys message boards argue about for two or three years going down the pipe. Like those are the guys everybody wants to know about. And we wanted to kind of have a way to check schools in terms of how they develop them. 
Yeah, I really like the study because we know the the flat out rankings every year, obviously, you know, just star rankings and, and the total points that these teams accrue. But what do they do after the guys get to campus? Um, and so previously, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like previously you were just awarding points based on um, draft capital. So, uh, you know, certain points for a first round pick, a day two pick or a day three pick, and then dividing by draft eligible players to get a number. Uh, and obviously, I guess in that case, I don't know if lower is better, higher is better, but, you know, someone scored the best and, and you know, it was who it is. However, this year there were some tweaks, which I thought were really nice. What did you guys do this year that's different uh, that I guess you think is, is maybe a more uh, detailed look at, at development of these players? Yeah, I think really the baseline with it is one. So anybody above a one is really, really good. And anybody below one, like that 0.8 to like one range is like still above average. And anything below about a 0.8, you're not really doing your job right. We wanted to kind of keep that game scale, by, but also apply a little bit more weight and a little bit more balance to it. Uh, top 50 prospects get drafted almost like three or four times more often than players in the 200 to 247 range. So we just tried to weight things a little bit to give teams credit, kind of the back half of that 200 to 247 range for developing those players. Because a lot of times, like, frankly, the way we did this before, we tried to kind of even things out by dividing by the total number of prospects. So a team like Alabama couldn't overwhelm the rankings with the number of top 247 players they had, which works well. But when you kind of dive into the numbers, Alabama is getting a lot more of those one to 50 kids than they are those kids at the back half of the 24 top 247. So we want to kind of uh, give credit to the teams that are doing a little bit more with a little bit less, even though these are all considered elite prospects going out of high school. Sure. And I think that's nice because you guys do name it development rankings. You, you know, these are different than just who's bringing in the best guys. Um, and so you basically gave more credit if you brought, uh, you know, maybe a lower end four star, a guy in, you know, at, at, who ranked 175 and he ended up being a, you know, first round pick that got more weight, right. than than a guy who is already number one and then goes in the first round. Yeah, for sure. And I would stress that you still have to develop five stars. Like they, they don't come to campus and are going to go in the first round, like automatically. Like I think the development ratings actually show that like consistently in Alabama being the best example. And I'm sure we get there, but they are certainly more likely on average to get drafted higher. So we just wanted to kind of strike a balance between rewarding the teams that still do a lot with those like five star players while also rewarding teams that might have a bit more of a project on their hands and still turn those into an early round draft pick. So we just kind of waited things a little bit to give teams that do a little bit more with those guys, a little bit more credit. Yeah. I mean, what Alabama's you know been able to do, which spoiler alert, if you haven't checked out the article, go ahead and do it. But Alabama, as with every other possible metric you could ever look at is lapping the field uh, in this as well. And I agree with what you said. Uh, I mean, we fall in love with five-star guys all the time that that don't do anything. I'm a Florida grad. If you go to our historical best recruits, I think the top three guys like never did jack squat in the NFL, including I think the best guy we ever got, which was Ronald Powell. I mean, he barely even played in college and then did not. I'm, I think he was on like a taxi squad somewhere in the NFL. So, it, you yeah, you still got work to do uh, after yeah, you bring these five-star guys on campus for sure. So what Alabama has done is not simply because, oh, you get the best guys. Um, so what are your – I mean, I, I'll share afterwards because I, I want you to speak first. Um, 
what are your like takeaways kind of applications from this study? Uh, any, any teams stand out to you uh, that were surprising uh, at the top of the list? And, and, you know, what would you take, how would you maybe apply this to how you think about things going forward? I think, honestly, I really think the most important thing is, is I always hear this narrative that when you get five stars, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to win. Like those guys are ready to play. Those guys are ready to go to the NFL. But one of my favorite stats in college football is essentially that Alabama five-star players are drafted at a 51.5% rate in the first round. When you apply some of the qualifications that or qualifiers that we have in the study and everybody else is drafted at like 21.4. So it's, it's nuts. Like if you're an Alabama player and you're a five-star, you're, almost more than twice as likely to be drafted in the first round than if you go anywhere else. So I I think that's the important thing at the top. Like development really does matter even for those kind of five-star recruits, the guys that everybody thinks are slam dunks because for every like five-star that goes to Alabama, there's a CC Jefferson who goes to Florida. Oh, ouch. And out as well as you could, but like Florida's actually, we'll get to that in a second. I'm sure, but Florida's done a pretty good job overall or Martez Ivy wasn't exactly who everybody thought he was going to be. So those guys might be higher rated coming out of school, but they still need development. And I think this list kind of shows that. And if you look at it, like it's not perfect. Like this metric isn't meant to measure current time. Like it's kind of a long tail thing. It only encompassed the 2012 to 2016 classes. So players had to get all the way through college before we really took stock of what they did. So a lot of the times this is evaluating old coaching staffs as opposed to new coaching staffs. And I've certainly heard that feedback from current coaches in some cases that aren't thrilled to see their teams where they are, but that's what happened at the school's history previously. And I think it does a good job explaining why teams are on top and why teams are at the bottom. Alabama being number one is quite obvious. And then for the previous two years before this one, Texas was dead last in these rankings. Texas moved up two spots this year. They're 25th out of 27, but they're still at the bottom. And I think that like pretty safely kind of shows that Texas has struggled to develop its talent that it's had despite getting talent. And that's a big reason why that program struggled the last 10 years. So I, I think the application here is, is pretty useful in a lot of ways. So just as a little side, a side rabbit hole here. So do you get as the, you know, as the main author on the, on the, on the article communication directly from coaches, like where they're mad at you about this? Um, occasionally, yeah, but wow. like it's it's just data, but so they can't. I don't. Yeah, I don't it's not your opinion. Data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, occasionally, and like, I think like in some cases, like a graphic could be used in recruiting uh, as a weapon for some sure. people for others. But like at the end of the day, it's what the program's done uh, for over a five year period, and like it's just it's numbers. So I, well, I think it's a good representation of why some programs are down and why some programs might rise later, like if they're recruiting and developing better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can, you know, I I get frustrated as a fan. Uh, you know, I enjoy parity. I like to see a bunch of teams that are, you know, all good and competing. But obviously, we know there's a parity kind of a problem, I guess, depending on what you feel in college football. But it, if you can sit down with a kid and say you've got a two x chance to be not only drafted but a first round pick if you come to alabama compared to every other team in the country who cares what your depth chart looks like that guy just wants to wear the crimson and white so that he can go to the nfl i mean it's just yeah that that's an incredible tool that's all they have to do is go sit down in in the living room and show that like i don't see you know it's just ridiculous but yeah, yeah, Bam is great. We all know that. I think, though, what your study um, and the 247 information shows us is that they are that much better. I mean, they're just 
they're that much better than anything we could imagine. They're they're just a, an absolute machine. Uh, and Saban's been there, but right, they've had tons of other coaching turnover, right? So it's not, I mean, Saban's been there, but like they're bringing in other position coaches and guys who are doing their jobs as well. Um, would you ever break this down on a position basis? Like look at quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, or would the number be too small? Like the sample be get too small at that point? I would imagine, like especially over a five-year period, the number the sample size is going to be pretty small in that case. Um, we've done our company in the past, twenty-four-seven Sports, has done like position use by looking back at like the last five years to see who produced the most draft picks at a certain position. So I encourage people to go find that. My old colleague Barton Simmons did that last year, okay. so we have that data on our site somewhere. But this would be difficult one day, like maybe when I have a bit more time and bandwidth, I'd love to expand this out to three stars and kind of also kind of do an all encompassing thing. But um, even in the off season time is a little limited for me. So this is where the study wow. is right now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I would love to do more of that in the future for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know what, what we do at campus the, the mother website for this podcast is, you know, we try to take shots on, um, you know, incoming freshmen. We're rostering a, a 40 my, 45 man college side, you know, fantasy team in, in a lot of, in a lot of times. And so, stealing the shame, so right. It's like a dynasty on, on double steroids. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think stuff like this is very val- uh, valuable for me. My application here is, you know, when in doubt, especially in these later rounds, I mean, we've got 45 round college drafts which is ridiculous. I will say that. Um, but like once you're in round 25 plus, I mean, just start taking shots on guys. Uh, maybe guys, obviously, I mean, Bama, no one needs to know that's what you do, but Hey, Washington, you pointed out, I think they tied for second place sending guys to the NFL. Now, I don't know if those are, you know, offensive skill position players, which is matter for fantasy or not, but like, uh, it a could lot of DBs, a lot of DBs, not not quite as many offensive players, yeah, but a lot of That's DBs. Interesting. Why would it be DBs? But yeah, I mean, I think, but well, you know, uh, Gaskins there, and um, Ahmed is there now. I mean, it's at that point in a in a draft at that level of depth, you really just want to get guys through to the NFL. I mean, yeah, you'd love a stud, but when you're talking about going that deep, you just want guys who are going to make it to the NFL and can at least help your NFL team in even in theory. So. I think it's really important. Take stabs at guys who are on programs that are putting guys in the NFL. I think that can help us take deep shots, uh, you know, down the depth chart, um, you know, better than kind of, I mean, some direction at that point is really helpful. So I'll be using this information for my leagues, but I'm a Florida grad. I see all the time. Florida ranks pretty high in recruiting. I mean, you know, we're top 10, top 12. It's not elite, but we're pretty good. Uh-huh. And then I do see graphics on Saturday morning or, you know, broadcast. And then your information here says we are like tied for second with Washington as the best ratio of guys sending to the NFL. But like, we still can't recruit for crap. So in my opinion, like we should be top three with that number. We should be top three and we are not, we are top 12. And there's a big difference because when you're 12th in the country, you're six in the sec. So like, that's a problem in my opinion for bringing in talent. So we just in your opinion or whatever, like why can't guys recruit? Like, what does it take for Mullen for my example he should be able to bring these guys in. We're sending guys to the NFL and we've sent guys to the NFL for five years in a row. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's McElwain and stuff. Like, I don't know. Why can't you recruit? What's the difference? What's the disconnect there? 
recruiting isn't isn't easy. Like you have to be a bit of a maniac to recruit well, and you have to have a staff full of maniacs who to recruit well. It's a twenty four hour thing. Um, I think at Florida, it's definitely possible. We saw that with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer put together historic classes at Florida, and Urban Meyer. Like, even considering Nick Saban, I think Urban Meyer's right there as the best head coach recruiter of all time. The guy was maniacal at it. Um, he put together an entire staff. He uses database. He uses 24-7 sports rankings. He uses internal rankings. Like, he did everything possible. He was on the phone with recruits. A lot of head coaches aren't really as fond of spending that time doing that. And I think in Dan Mullen's case, like, he's one of those guys that is a good recruiter but not a great one because, like, he doesn't pr- – maybe invest quite as much time as some other head coaches do. Like he's, he's not putting in the hours Kirby smart does um, Nick Saban. It's kind of godfathered into this at this point, but he is considered one of the best head coach recruiters of all time. Cause he puts in the effort. Like, I'm not saying Dan Mullen doesn't work hard. I'm just saying historically, even dating back to his Mississippi state days, he yeah. has been a guy willing to rely on his ability to develop, which uh, we're talking about now and also to scheme. And Dan Mullen's the best, one of the best in the country at scheming. So like, I understand that, but the best recruiters just kind of, they put in the hours. And if you're at a program like Florida, like there's a difference between, like you have an advantage, like few other people do. It's just a matter of kind of putting in the time to get there and putting in the work. And some school, some coaches are great at it. Mario Cristobal at Oregon, for example, right now is putting together historic class after historic class because he puts in the time, he invests in that. He has a staff full of recruiters. Dan Mullen just has other priorities and other coaches kind of in that vein do have different priorities too. So it, it's just, it's kind of a matter of who your head coach is. And to be perfectly honest, schools recruit themselves, but the head coaches make the difference. Well, Chris, that unfortunately confirms all my suspicions that it's just not in his DNA. Like he just, you know, it's, it's interesting. You say it's, it's an effort thing. I mean, it's just, effort, and I agree. Urban effort. was a psychopath, but I yeah. love that about him. Well, effort, effort sounds harsh. I'm not saying yeah. no, not working, but like, there, there is a difference between a head coach who is taking the lead recruiter role on the top 20 targets on the board, talking to these kids every day, and the head coach who makes like two phone calls a week um, to different mm-hmm. top targets. Like there just is. And Urban Meyer, as you said, was a maniac, a psychopath with that stuff. Like he was so dialed in. And not every coach is Urban Meyer, which is why Urban Meyer has three national championships. And <laughs> yeah. it might be why Urban Meyer had so much burnout too because of the way he kind of handles things. So That's true. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I remember when I, I was a student, uh, I think at the end of Urban Meyer, or at the very beginning of his tenure, I was about ready to be out. And um, But I remember... The, the day I was like, I love Urban Meyer with all my heart is when he said he literally just goes down the 247 list and says, these are the guys I want. Like, I was like, he's doing exactly what I'm doing. And I was like, I love this guy. Uh, then he went on to win a couple of national titles and, of course, secured himself. Uh, there. Did, okay. so, all right. Well, I mean, that's that's good for me to know. And I, I think I just need to, like, temp expectations for Mullen. I agree with oh. what you said about scheme, what? game day coach. He's excellent. I just want it. I, I want all the five stars. I mean, I just, I want that and the scheme. I mean, it's a, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Like also yeah. like when he, st- if he starts winning in a big way at Florida, it's going to recruit itself and he won't have to put in all the work at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, so it just depends. And there's also alternative ways to build rosters right now. Dan Mullen does yeah. a better job in the transfer portal than most people. Yeah. And that's an opportunity to get a kind of undervalued talent as well. So there's a lot of avenues to be successful in college football right now. You just have to have the right coach and got to get a little lucky and, Maybe not national championship good, but you can certainly win a conference if you get lucky. I want national championships, but I'm spoiled. Um, 
I think that, yeah, I mean, the, the recruiting portal is, or the transfer portal is very interesting that there are multiple pathways, I think, to build a good team than there used to be, uh, which is a, probably a topic for another day. You could do a whole thing about the transfer portal. I hope Demarcus Bowman ends up being awesome for us. I really am encouraged that we got him. Uh, the spring wasn't that encouraging, though. So, um, uh, it's a it's a deep running backfield. He'll, yeah. he'll play eventually. I don't know if he'll start, but he's certainly going to have a role. Uh, he looks so good, uh, just in what I've seen. So, what program do you see coming out of the COVID era that is kind of build, building some momentum? Uh, I mean, you're you're a national writer, so like, is there any buzz you're hearing in the inner circles or anything like that coming out of this weird season? Did anyone capitalize in a in a unique way, uh, and you think are primed to kind of take a step as we get back to kind of the normal cycle of things? Through recruiting or just in general? I think just in general. I mean, you can kind of choose how you might want to answer it. Um, I mean, honestly. I think a lot of the schools that were successful before are going to be successful after like the COVID era was great for some schools. I think, I think it's created some interesting transfer portal strategies for people because of some of the rules that were around it. So some schools are better positioned to take advantage of it than others. And I will say like some coaches are advantaged coming out of the COVID era because they're going to have so many super seniors back. Uh, Like Iowa state's a great example of that. They, and a lot like Iowa State should have had its best team in program history and then it disbanded last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like they go to the Fiesta Bowl, they beat Oregon, they have a magical season, they play for a Big 12 title, lose at the last second to Oklahoma. That team should have dispersed. Like Charlie Kohler should be gone. Greg Eisworth, their all conference safety should be gone. Charlie or um, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, mm-hmm. likely goes to the draft. But with the super senior rule, like they have 20, I think, out of 22 starters coming yeah. back. So that team is in position to contend for a national title. Maybe in past years it would have had this band. Liberty's bringing like 97% of its roster back wow. uh, from last year when they made its run. There's going to be a lot of teams with a lot of depth because of that super senior rule. So I think some of those experienced teams, like especially in the group of five, like you just look at returning starter numbers and it's ridiculous. So like we could see some surprising teams in that case, but generally like the teams coming out of this, I think situated are the best teams anyway. I think the Pac-12 teams will be really interesting just because like they had such a condensed season that we don't really know what to expect out of that group. Um, obviously, like Oregon's position to make a run. USC is kind of in position. I'm a big Arizona State guy this year. I think they could be really, really good in the Pac-12 South. But that's a conference where there's so many kind of unanswered questions coming out of COVID. And I think time will only tell how like coaches handled that kind of transition period. Yeah, I'm Pac-12 to me is is actually a big, interesting uh, mess of teams. I agree with you on Arizona State. They're they're one of my, um, you know, kind of in in some of these drafts where I'm picking some players uh, on the college side. You can get some Arizona State guys kind of late, and I think it's going to be real interesting uh, when when they get a full slate of games. And Herm Edwards, I thought it was a ridiculously like boring hire. Uh, when they brought him in, but over the last, was it, I think three seasons now, you know, his efficiency on offense, both in the run game and the pass game has been very good above average. He has put together some good schemes. He's put together some good play calling uh, and, and a good staff and they're recruiting pretty well. So I agree. I think Arizona state is a nice dark horse, um, you know, outside of the traditional powers in the pac 12 yeah, I'd take, I'd take Brian Thompson, their uh, Utah transfer receiver, and some dynasty, or in some fantasy drafts for sure. Ooh, that's a good name. I'll, I'll jot that down. Brian Thompson from Utah. Um, so then 
we this was a question from the Discord uh, at Campus to Canton, and uh, someone asked an interesting question. I thought we know who's a good recruiter. We kind of just talked about it a little bit. Do you know on the high school side, working at twenty four seven? Like, have you heard of anything about it? Certain high school coaches, maybe, or programs that really pump up their players and get them noticed. Uh, rather, kind of the opposite of a good recruiter, maybe a good like promoter on the high school side. Does that happen? I mean, yeah, I would first say first, kids are always their best promoters through social media. And oftentimes friends of elite recruits get noticed <laughs> because their friends are elite. Like if you go to a, if you go see a five-star recruit, most likely coaches are going to catch a three-star that they wouldn't have noticed otherwise. And they could kind of blow up too. We see it happen time and time again. But I think in a lot of cases, like I live in Texas and they have recruiting coordinators specifically, often position coaches as well that are tasked with promoting their players, getting their names out there, connecting with college coaches, kind of being the liaison there. So those are the, those are the people responsible for that. As for like a high school that's best at promoting, I think track records are the best promoters like matter day in California. Yeah. People are always going to flock there and Texas, like a school like South Lake Carroll or Duncanville is always going to have dudes in Florida. Lakeland just produces an insane amount of players every year. So like, Coaches know where to go and there's always going to be hidden gems, but like it's those traditional powers and this kind of large concentrations of recruits and those like really talent heavy states like California, Texas, Florida, and Georgia that are going to get the most attention. Just kind of how it works. That's actually very interesting that you throw in Georgia at the end there as, as an elite talent. I mean, I think historically it's the big three, um, California, Texas, Florida, but yeah, I agree. I think Georgia high school football is some of the best in the country. And, and I think, it, would you say that's a recent trend where Georgia is like a hotbed instead of the big three or in addition to? Yeah, I do an article every year, like looking at the battleground states, like breaking down where the top 25 players goes. And like three years ago, we decided to add Georgia just because consistently Georgia was almost producing as many prospects as California, at least like top two, four, seven guys. So the elite, like at the top. So like, um, on a per capita basis, I don't really know if you could beat what Georgia does every year. That Atlanta area is such a talent hotbed. And I think if you look at recent NFL drafts, you got guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields going really high. They're just showing Georgia's so deep at a lot of positions and Georgia's a hotbed all around. And also like the seven on seven scene there is really mm. crazy. Like, so all of that kind of contributes to Georgia being right up there with California, Texas, and Florida now, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I would I would totally agree. It's a big four now. I mean, whereas always it was the other, uh, just those three. Um, all right, we get, well, I got one more question. We can kind of wrap it up, but there's a lot coming down the line in college football at large, in my opinion. Uh, we've got the NLI taking place in like two weeks from now where guys are going to start getting promoted, marketed, things like that. We've got a 12-team playoff that's being bandied about as a possibility in the next couple of years. My personal favorite, the EA Sports video game should be coming back maybe Bring in two back. years. I don't know. I mean, that would be like, that's nostalgia for me. I mean, oh my gosh, I played that for like seven years in a row. That's all I did. Um, never was a Madden guy, always NCAA. So what do you think of the popularity of college football? I mean, is this going to get, Is can it get bigger? Is it going to get bigger? I mean, compared to NFL, I feel like it's fairly niche. So I think there's room for college football to become more of a national popular sport. And I would love to see it. Do you think all these things could uh, turn into that? That's a great question. I've always, I always have to check myself because I am in the college football landscape 24 seven. Like I think it's the biggest thing in the world, but when you really think about it, like Trevor Lawrence is the biggest name in our sport last year. I would say 90% of Americans have no idea who Trevor Lawrence is. Yeah. Like, 
Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's it's not quite that same reach. It's not quite that same exposure. I was just check myself with that. So I, I think I think it's a pretty popular sport. I think I would like if you just generally pulled me. I think their college football game does much better ratings than a general NHL game. Yeah. Does better ratings than an MLB game in a lot of cases. Like I don't know where it falls against like soccer in twenty years or whatever what have it but i do think like and i think you're kind of getting at this a little bit like the playoffs gonna help kind of expand it a little bit like tournaments make things more interesting i think bringing in um some teams from the west coast maybe more teams from west of the mississippi river will really help the health of the sport i'll be interested to see how fans react to players making money i don't really think anybody's gonna care like i don't think anybody doesn't watch the nba because lebron james makes like (laughs) 50 million dollars a year from endorsements they watch him because he's awesome so i don't think it'll have an effect on the sport but it, there's a lot of like question marks out there but i mean i cover college football for a living i'd love to see it be more popular that'd be awesome but i i don't know if we're at a boom but because it's it's such a regionalized sport at heart like the sport is the fans the sport is the small towns that encompass it the sport is kind of the feel of itself and I don't know if that always lends itself to like national exposure in that way, but I'm hopeful. I think it's a great game, but um, I just, I, there's so many issues with the kind of model of college athletics that I'm not sure if it necessarily has the wingspan to kind of grow out any further than it is at, at least right now. Yeah. I mean, those are some good points from someone on the inside like yourself. So, um, but I just, you know, it's not even the making money. It's, it's to me about the NLI stuff. It's more that just, like you said, I mean, a lot of people don't know who Trevor Lawrence is until he got drafted number one overall. And now they're going to see him in advertisements. They're going to see him, um, you know, NFL in his uniform and all this. I don't know if, if Trevor Lawrence was selling you car insurance over the last three years, uh, maybe more people would know who he is. So it's more like just exposure, getting to know the faces of the game and the stars being able to be marketed, whereas up to now, they, they're not able to be marketed. So I think that could be interesting. Maybe you get some more like, you know, folk heroes that get a little more, you know, spread than just the local car dealerships and things like that. So absolutely. And that'll be that'll be really interesting. And I think having players out there promoting themselves more often will certainly help. Like they're going to be on social media promoting themselves aggressively. They're going to be on maybe not TV in a lot of cases. You'll see a few national kind of ads for some of these guys, so it'll be few and far between, but it's it's a really interesting time. And we talked about this a little bit before, but this is like a tech time of tectonic change in college athletics. When you consider transfer legislation, when you consider NIL, when you consider playoff kind of expansion, realignment's probably gonna be coming in a couple of years too. So Ooh. like there's so much shifting in the sport right now, the undertones of the sport changing the dynamic of power is changing so it'll be really fascinating to follow the next couple of years i think the sport that we grew up with or the sport that people grew up with 60 years ago is going to look completely different in 10 years potentially because there's so much happening yeah certainly an exciting time to be following it and uh an exciting time to be just enjoying it i know i do so Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on, talking about your study. I think it's very valuable information, an interesting spin on kind of a more deeper dive than just looking at recruiting rankings. So I appreciate the work you put into that and and putting it uh, out onto the internet. And thanks for coming on our show on Why Wait Till Sunday. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. All right. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good, man.